I'm the director of all those Russell Crowe movies you never saw, and the writer of Lost, unsatisfying final episode, comes a sort of prequel that doesn't use the best parts of the Alien franchise, Prometheus. A film whose first 30 minutes are mostly landscape shots, where two scientists are on a quest to find extraterrestrial life based on really flimsy evidence. A trillion dollar mission, manned by the worst crew in space. A lazy captain who leaves his crew to die. A stoner geologist with state-of-the-art computer maps, radio communication, mapping balls, and GPS. We are at 74014771, why? Who still gets lost. An inconsistent biologist who is scared of a 2,000-year-old dead body. No, ship's good. But falls in love with a clearly dangerous alien snake. Hey, baby. Oh! and an idiot woman who can only run in straight lines. A film with so much CGI, the visual effects department forgot to change anyone's heart rate. One man will achieve his lifelong dream of finding aliens, but somehow feels like a failure after only investigating for six hours. And one woman will give forced exposition. I call great life and will create life you're pregnant and get her uterus cut open which will hurt a lot when standing but not jumping falling or repelling a film so forced it attempts to connect to the alien franchise by having someone drink a drop of black goo before impregnating the main character with a squid baby which impregnates an engineer which creates an alien that only kind of looks like the aliens in the real movies even though they already showed a picture of the queen alien on a wall an epic quest that has no answers or payoff to anything like the green goo, the giant head statue, the disregard of evolution, this green crystal, the engineer's hatred of humans, the black goo, the black goo creating an eye worm, the black goo creating a zombie, the black goo dissolving an engineer, the reason why people in the holograms are running into a room full of black goo, David murdering someone for no reason, the engineers leaving ancient humans maps to their weapons facilities, and why it matters he was Vicar's dad. Father. Data, Dr. Manhattan, Black Oil from the X-Files, Charlie the Ron, Benjamin Button, and Super Vagina, Prometheus. God, please just stay away from Blade Runner. And we are back. <laughs> welcome, one and all. Welcome programs to Treks and Sci-Fi. And the return of the Alien Boys. I am your co-host, Brian Dunn. Uh, and with me, as always, is my tremendous friend in all things Alien, Mr. Al Kessel. Hey, guys. How you doing? And uh, Al and I thought we would just start you off there with a, uh, an honest trailer review <laughs> of uh, Prometheus. I had never seen that before. I just discovered it this morning. That was some funny stuff right there. Yeah, yeah, I love those the the honest trailers. Uh, it's a YouTube channel, and uh, they do all kinds of quote unquote honest trailers for movies, and they've got some really funny ones out there. 
yeah, that was that was that was inspired. That was really really good. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Al and I are back. Uh, thank you, Rico. You are actually mm-hmm. listening, obviously, to Treks in Sci-Fi, and the host Rico has provided Al and I with a nice forum here, where he and I have been covering the Alien films. We have covered the first three films of the franchise, Alien, Aliens, and Alien Three already. And prior to getting to Alien 4, which I, you know, I really want to get at some <laughs> I know <laughs> we, we both have our reservations about that one, but oh, yeah. we will we'll get there. We thought we'd like to, now that enough time has gone by and that the, uh, the Blu-ray DVD release is pending any day now, to go back and take a look at this summer's prequel film, Prometheus, where in space, no one can hear you scream, but... Apparently, you can go on the greatest scientific endeavor of all mankind with a bunch of dumbasses. Because <laughs> <laughs> somehow they do that. <laughs> and, and, and apparently a stoner pothead. <laughs> but, uh, but we're, we, you know, I, I saw, I w- this was a big film for me th- uh, this year, obviously. I know people on the forums uh, are familiar with the fact that, you know, obviously Al and I are big Alien fans. This is certainly the film that I was looking forward to the most. Um, I think that, you know, that the fan reaction for this was very split. I think in general people seem to have liked the film in, in terms of its Rotten Tomatoes rating and things like that. But I think that this movie presented a real challenge for people, and I, I actually think that may have been a good thing. And uh, so before we, we get into the movie and discuss our thoughts about what we saw, um, Al, you know, I, I saw this movie twice, twice, in theater, twice in theaters and then once as a digital release on iTunes recently. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you only saw it once. Leading into the movie, what, did, what were your thoughts about it what did you know about it how how much was it in your consciousness about what you you thought this was going to be all about well uh, well i didn't know a whole lot about it because i i purposefully stayed away from all of the uh uh, all the spoilers all of the the chats going back and forth especially on treks and sci-fi uh i know that there was a lot of spoilers there so i purposefully stayed away from it because i wanted to go into this movie and, and have those surprises that that everybody was able to uh, to get when they first saw it, and uh, going into it though, I kind of knew a little bit about it because of all the you know pre-production stuff that they were releasing. I, I knew just about the same amount that everybody else did before they saw the movie the, for the first time. Um, I was expecting pretty much, uh, you know, kind of what I got, but to a, a little bit of a different degree. I was expecting uh, to see a little bit more of the the dark dingy type of alien universe that we're familiar with yeah and did you did you feel that it was going to very cleanly based on the on some of the maybe the images you saw the trailer where you see things like the derelict ship where you see things like these engineers that look like the guy the uh the space jockey from alien did you think that there would be more of a of a of a direct sort of linear approach where this movie sort of feeds directly into Alien? Mm-hmm. I did. Now I I knew that um, the way Ridley Scott set the movie up was was so that anybody could go see this movie and not be lost if they did not ever see the previous Alien movies. But I really did think that there was going to be at least a more concrete connection. Yeah, and it, it's cool that you said Lost because our uh, <laughs> this was the David Lindelof was the writer of Lost, and you know I guess when with, when he's on board, you never know what you're going to get. Um, 
think you're I think you're absolutely right though. I think when I look back at how the film was marketed and specifically how Ridley Scott in interviews just talked about the film, it was very cagey. He was very much saying this is not an alien prequel, but it's an alien prequel. You know, it was he wa- he really wanted to it seems like he wanted to have it both ways. He yeah. wanted this movie to be a different sort of a, a, a thematic story where he could take it in a whole new direction but have that alien that he referred to I think frequently in interviews as the DNA of alien in this movie and you could also get there from here. Um, I don't know. If, I, I can't say one way that, that hurt or helped the marketing of the film. I think it definitely made people confused. And mm-hmm. I think that it definitely made people either walk into the theaters when this opened thinking that they were going to see something along the lines of what you had suggested versus maybe something more along the lines of what we actually did get. Um, and, you know, it, which, which is interesting. I had a very, very different relationship with this film prior to seeing it. I sp- Spoiled myself rotten <laughs> to every single forum thread where this movie was being discussed prior to release and and read and and tried to figure out what what was going to actually happen here. And then the film opened in Europe prior to, especially I believe in England, prior, yeah. prior to opening here by about almost 10 days or two weeks. So on one of the on the replica prop forum, the conversations immediately were like, "Okay, well, here's here's what happens," and so I literally knew everything. I literally was I, I knew every aspect of the movie, every issue, every complaint that going into it. And honestly, I think it 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 definitely altered my 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 initial viewing of the film, my feelings about the film. And in my case, because I kind of like to find these things out early, it made the film so awesome for me because it really. I, I, I let go of, the, of some of the preconceptions that maybe I would have had had I not spoiled myself rotten. And if I had gone in there, in there expecting more of, of that alien vibe. I mean, obviously, we, we all know that Ridley Scott was going to make us a great movie. The, guys, the guy makes great sci-fi films. So we knew that. We knew we'd get the visuals. We would get something really interesting to watch. Um, and I think that in my case, that spoiling the movie turned out to be the best decision I could have made as my initial enjoyment of the movie so that's, it, that's funny to hear i mean it, it, it is you know because when, when i when i read people's initial reactions a lot of it to, seemed to me to be disappointment um regarding expectations and their expectations i think were driven by the marketing and by ridley scott in the interviews we, i was just talking about and i think that 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 may have been an error on their part i think that you know they they wanted to have it both ways and the movie tries to do that, and there are aspects of it that I think it succeeds, and there are aspects of it that probably don't. But uh, I think that there was definitely that that hope. I think the studio. Here's the way I looked at it. I think the studio went to Ridley Scott and said, "We want more of this. This being the Alien universe. Um, what do you think?" And Ridley Scott said, "Okay, I tell you what. I'll give you more of that, but you got to give me something because I want to make this. I want to make this movie." with this theme which is what we got in Prometheus and you le- you let me make that and assuming that it does well then we're going to do a- another movie and maybe I'll give you more of what you want but you know I kind of got the vibe that that this entire film was produced knowing that they were going to have another shot at it and a, and a sequel to it which I know is 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 you know is you know I- I'm not suggesting that if the movie a tank that 
he still would have gotten that. But as it's become clear, that is the case. They are making a sequel to Prometheus. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that sequel continue these themes that we, we discovered in Prometheus, but also to very much directly have a branch that goes right towards the Nostromo mm-hmm. and towards the, you know, the landing on LV-426 and finding that derelict ship with the, with the eggs and the, and the facehuggers and the xenomorphs and all that. Um, so anyway, that's, I'm, just, I'm just sort of giving you an idea of how, of how I was sort of looking at this when I watched the movie, you know, feeling very much that this was part one of a greater story because a lot of people at the end were like WTF. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you didn't even know that, you could walk out of this movie scratching your head going, what, what, how, I mean, so, I mean, just to skip real quick to the end, how did you feel walking out of the theater after your expectations that you had going into it? Well, I actually walked directly into my bedroom because I watched it at home. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, you know, I, I was kind of the same way. Um, just, you know, I'm just going to kind of go from beginning to end super quick. Um, I thought that the movie moved kind of slow, slow, slow. And then all of a sudden, boom, it sped up and then it was over. Right. And uh, I, I kind of enjoyed the ending because I could see where it's going to lead us to our, you know, our familiar gang. Um, uh, I, I think I, I enjoyed the ending. I, I think I liked the way it ended. I, I was okay with it. Cool. Well, that's. I mean, that's 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 encouraging because I know I know there are people that were not, weren't satisfied, and I can I totally understand can get that. But yeah, I agree, and I think that there, there's a lot here. So let's let's talk about you know not what people's expectations were, people thought they were going to get. Let's talk about what we got. <laughs> so the movie opens up, and that trailer does a great job of talking about the first 20 minutes or nothing. Oh, <laughs> I'm looking at my outline here. All I can think of is hear that guy's voice, like, 20 minutes of beautiful landscapes. <laughs> but uh, so the movie opens up on a, on a world that, you know, it's not clear where we are, but, you know, the, the implication is potentially this is Earth. I know Ridley Scott has come out and said it doesn't have to be Earth. And we, we are introduced to the characters of the engineers, these, these almost, you know, Adonis-like perfect beings um, Much like Simon Meddings. Yes. <laughs> Is that Simon painted white? I got <laughs> um, and we see, we see this one engineer, and we see a ship in the background, um, and he basically sacrifices himself by ingesting this black goo substance that apparently breaks his body down to a molecular level, and he falls into the water, and his body breaks down to its, to its DNA, which then binds with new DNA and begins, we assume, to create what life and and we're we're going to assume for the sake of of our conversation that this is Earth and that this is proto Earth and he arri- and the engineers have arrived and created life on Earth um, effectively. Is that the way you would you mm-hmm. took it as being the case? Yeah, yeah. Um, but now that I look back on it, uh, I think they reluctantly created life. You, oh, so you don't think of that? You think so? Do you think that the engineer was was part of a a willing sacrifice, or do you think he was he was there being maybe punished for something and being executed, and the result it coincidentally fell in the water and that created the life? Yeah, could be because you know even to this to this day, I am totally completely confused as to why he ingested that black goo. I mean, it just didn't it made no sense to me. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I and let, well, as we go as we go into the story, I think maybe we can find a couple of the, of the things in the movie that are are uh, that are said or done that can, can make us understand that. I'll put out for right now that my entire image of the engineers is that basically they are like gardeners in space. That their, their entire civilization is based upon the creation of life, the manipulation of life, um, the destruction of life if they feel that that life isn't something that is going along a certain path that they deem appropriate. I think those themes, and I think those, I think thematically that comes up, it's going to come up a lot in the movie, but mm-hmm. there, there's, there was always some question, is, is this person part of a, of a ritual ceremony of creating life, or is this someone who is being abandoned he was killing himself, but there's a unintended consequence um, that creates life on Earth. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting question. I you and I think you and I both know um, because you you watch the extra features that are on the uh, streaming um, iTunes version, and I also have the art of Prometheus book. That there was a longer scene here where it was clearly much more of a ritual. Mm-hmm. There were elders, there were more engineers. An elder engineer gives this younger engineer the vial. In, and does so in almost a reverent way, and so you get much more of a um, a religious vibe to it as a as a ceremony, um, as opposed to what we saw in the movie. But I think they decided to take that out so that there could be some ambiguity as to what what exactly is happening here. Well, there was a couple scenes that they took out of this movie that 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 when you look back on, and we'll discuss it later on. But when you look back at it, you go, "Well, now I understand it. So why in the world did they take it out?" So now, so after that, now we, we, we skip forward into the modern, modern times, although it's not really that far in the future from where we are right now, and this archaeological dig and the discovery of these, of these wall paintings. And we, we understand that they have some sort of significance um, for, for our characters. You know, Shaw and, you know, and, and, and her boyfriend are looking at these things and they're getting all excited about it. Um, and I think that, that the fact that, they, that they're we learn and what's nice about this movie i think is that it moves very quickly even though you know it's 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 a little slow at first it does move very quickly in terms of we go from the discovery of the cave painting wall of the cave paintings and everything to bam we're on the prometheus and we meet david and everyone's waking up mm-hmm. it's not a lot of 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 long exposition or anything like that um it does happen pretty quickly you know and i think the fact that that the we we get that presentation well initially what happens is obviously is we meet david so initially did you realize immediately right off the top that david was an android uh yeah i did because mainly because of the uh the viral video that they put out before the movie even started ed stuff yeah absolutely Uh so we we meet david um and he is wandering around the ship um Definitely, if, you know, for me, I, I definitely got sort of an alien vibe, whereas in, in, in Alien, you had that initial establishing shot where the camera travels through the corridors of the, of the Nostromo, and it's silent with the exception of the, of the machines and the computers and everything. And in this, you get almost that same sort of thing, but you get it with David, who is, you know, doing mundane tasks. I mean... He's he's watching Lawrence of Arabia and then and then coloring his hair and combing his hair like um um what's his name um who's in Lawrence of Arabia uh, Peter O'Toole and he's he's emulating him in terms of his speech and things that he's saying um, so it's uh you get that and you also get that interesting scene 
um, where David effectively is watching Shaw's dream. <laughs> so in watching that, did did you pick up that that's what he was doing, or did what was it clear to you as to you know what was happening there? No, not really. I mean, I I knew I, I thought that maybe he was watching um, I don't know some kind of tape, you know, some kind of video uh, historical file type thing. Uh, I didn't, I, I kind of got a weird feeling about that whole thing though. I mean, it was just like, he's got some kind of connection with her, but we don't know why. And is he the one seeing this or is she the one reliving this? Right. Yeah. No, it, 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 it was confusing to me at first, but it was intriguing because you, you also, did you, did you start to get that sinister, like, oh, it's like Ash. It's like, <laughs> This it's a bat. It's he's an he's an android, and he's like he's looking in on people's dreams without them knowing, and you know who knows what he's thinking. Is he you know? Uh, so it, I I got a, definitely a creepy vibe off of that. Oh yeah, so did I. Yeah. So um so yeah, they very very quickly arrive at this uh, at this planet LV two. What is it? Two four two or uh, it? no? I think it was two four two. Okay. And uh, yeah, uh, no LV two three three. That's what it was. So they arrive, um, and uh, and the effects are great. I think we can all agree that visually the movie definitely was scored on that. <laughs> yeah, I think A plus. It was. It definitely. It's definitely one of the most beautiful movies I've seen. Yeah. Did, did you have any uh, problems or any initial like? Nah, I wish it kind of because I did. I had. A, I had a kind of like. Uh, I wish it was more a little more Nostromo, a little more dingy, a little more. Look at a used look because it was so slick. You know, everything was so slick um, on the ship that it made me feel like, oh, I can see the I can see the influences that would eventually become a Nostromo-like ship and the doors, the corridors. But you know, it was definitely a much you know newer ship than the Nostromo. Well, yeah, I, I thought the same thing at first, and then you know, when later on, when you realize where the ship comes from and who's funding the ship, and it's a kind of a private mission that um it makes sense that it's top of the line uh, that it's all shiny no you're right and that it was after the movie then i was like okay i i was sort of complaining about that at one of the times and they were like you know it is you know this is funded by peter wayland and and there's a ton of money behind this whereas the nostromo was just a workaround tug you know so you know i i, I was okay with that you get a great you get a you get a cool homage to alien here as well with with the, the the meal scene where everyone's eating, um, they establish that it's Christmas or it's it's a, it's, it's a couple of days before Christmas, which is actually very important um, because all throughout this movie there are a lot of Chris a lot of not Christmas but a lot of references to the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, um, and you know that sort of and the Immaculate Conception. I mean, a lot of things are very. Christian Christian myth kind of working their way into here, and I thought that was I thought that was a bold choice. I mean, I don't think I think that Ridley Scott never backs away from that. I think that you can watch this movie um, from a theological standpoint and be okay with it because the engineers, you know, some the 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 evolutionists and the atheists might go, oh well, of course the engineers are are the super race that are seeding the galaxy with life. The Someone who has more of a, of a, say, a Christian belief or just a, a, a belief, a theological belief, might look at going. The engineers are actually angels of God who are who are doing God's work, and so I think there's there's that there's the fact that um, that the Shaw character 
um, is is very religious. She carries her father's cross with her, and that cross comes up a lot. I mean, not like it's not like Ridley Scott puts that out there and goes, "Oh, look, she's you know she's a she's religious, even though she's a scientist and she's not so skeptical and jaded." Um, and then never revisits it. And she it gets revisited at the end of the movie where David still has her cross and she takes it back and puts it back on after everything that's happened. So it's 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 like so the the issues of faith like she she finds her faith she loses her faith and then finds it again during the course of the movie, um, and I thought that was bold I thought it was a bold choice of them of them to go for that very much so. So the, so the captain is setting up the Christmas tree and we we get that so they they go on oh and then oh so we, now we start to meet these characters um, and you know my initial reaction to them was God what a bunch of jackoffs I mean. Yeah. Just like I mean, when Fifield and Milburn have that initial conversation where he's like, "Hey, I'm you know I'm Milburn, I'm a biologist," and Fifield's like, "Look, I'm just here for the work and the money," and it was just like it was so contrived. It was like it was just awful. It was terrible character introduction because it just was so. So it's like it hit me over the head with a two by four. These people are assholes, you know. Like, oh my god, why? It's so. It's just he could have done so many different things, but that's the way he went. And that was my first major problem with the movie and some of the secondary characters was the, their behavior, um, starting with this particular scene. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't, I didn't like those characters either. I mean, it just, uh, I, you're, you're right. I, I absolutely agree. There, there has to be a better way to introduce these two characters and there has to be a better way for them to, uh, interact and, 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 you know, mingle into the, into the crew. And, um, I don't know. I guess you could call it lazy writing. Just you know, they 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 had established what they wanted, and then they went back and then they added all the secondary characters and realized, okay, let's just push it through because we're not going to worry about them anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get the you get the impression, especially as they get in into the ship and exploring, that they're sort of cannon fodder. That these are the guys like yeah. red shirts. You're dead. You're dead, and you're dead, and 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 I think that's definitely um, a mistake of the writing, and uh, so I, I put I put a lot of that at Lind- Lindoff's feet. I put I, you know I think that that was not executed well, and th- that that dialogue, that quick little scene, meant to meant to establish who these guys are in our heads, just completely makes me go, oh, I mean that was the best you could do. I mean I understand you wanted to create create conflict. I think what they were going for, if I can be a bit of an apologist, is that. I think what what we're supposed to take away is that, and and in the, in the briefing scene that that follows is that these guys are all, have all been flung together. They don't know each other. They're all you know they they all have their own little agenda, and they were brought together by Wayland, and they've never met before, obviously. So waking up on the planet is the first time that they're meeting each other. So I think we're just to take it that you know they're all out for themselves somewhat, and that there's no sense of of a, a unified like mission here, and I think that that really it's clear because everyone has a different agenda. It seems everyone seems to, you know, we know that Shaw is there looking for these ch- these big answers as you know as as far as you know who why did they want us to find them? Why did they want us to come to this place and um, get that answer? And we know that um, you know that Charlie, her boyfriend, that Charlie is looking for. You know, for the more scientific, like, why did you create us? Or actually, not even scientific, the more esoteric kind of, why why did you create us if you created us? Um, he wanted to talk to them and get those answers. Um, 
and then you know, but and then you you get no indication as to why Fifield and Milburn are there. Um, and you know, and I and I love Captain Janik. Oh, I do too. Seems completely unconcerned about these people <laughs> when they are when they're in the sh- when when Fifield and Milburn are lost and and coming across all these awful things. Janik sees that little blip on the radar, saying, "Oh, it said it was a life form." He's his, he, and then he's like, "Oh, never mind, it's gone." You guys have a good night. I mean, he's so uninterested in these people, but but he but he was a great character. I enjoyed. I thought the actor who played him, uh, Idris Elba, yeah, so Elba was he was really really good and funny. And uh, but it was but but you know you could sort of get that sense that that's what was going on. And we meet obviously we we meet Meredith Vickers, who uh, point we don't know exactly what her deal is um she's obviously the representative for wayland yutani uh for for wayland corporation and uh she you know we don't know anything else about her at that point except she's sort of the cold-hearted bitch character <laughs> did you what did you think about her character yeah well i i didn't really like her character um I, it looked to me like they were trying to recreate the ridley uh, I mean, the Ripley character uh, in, in her, but they didn't quite pull it off. And uh, I just, um, I don't know. I, I didn't think she had much in the way of redeeming qualities. Oh, that's it. You know, I never, I never thought about her being a Ripley surrogate, but that's, in, and it's interesting you say that, um, you know, since, since we're, you know, we're obviously spoiling the crap out of the movie and we're sort of, we can jump around a little bit at any point at the, in the movie, especially when confronted by, um, by Janik, did you think that she might be an android? I did. I I, I thought that she might have been a cre- you know maybe the first gen uh, creation of of uh, David you know and um, I, I don't know. I, I still I'm still not quite sure. Um, I think jury's out as to whether or not she was, and I think that was intentional. You know, right. I think I wouldn't be surprised based on the way that, the way that she is is killed. By the ship that apparently she can only run in one direction, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the fact that we didn't actually see her th- body or anything like that, I wouldn't be surprised if she's uh, also an android and can come back in the next movie. It'll be interesting to see how they play that because they definitely danced around it. You know, they definitely didn't w- wanted to make put that out there. Obviously, you know, Janik even says it, "Are you a robot?" Yeah. But I, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, the Vicar's character come back in the next movie. Um, anyway, so they land, and they land. They happen to enter the atmosphere and land at the exact spot where there are all these buildings, and they realize that they're in the right place. And uh, rather than you know be pragmatic and thoughtful about it, they just rush out the door and go charging into the temple in their little in their little um, ships. You know, and and again, I just. I just had a little bit of a problem with the, the you know, I appreciate their enthusiasm. Um, I'm also assuming, though, that these are some of the best minds and scientists in, in their respective fields. Then we're screwed in the future. If that. <laughs> yeah, they seem to be taking, they seem to be very impulsive and don't seem to be thinking very much about what it is, what would be prudent. They just are, they're just barreling ahead here and moving the story forward. So even though that, that, that seems, it seemed a little unrealistic and, you know, certainly with uh, Charlie, you know, I mean, Charlie's like, you know, he, his gung-ho-ness is actually a little too gung-ho-y for me sometimes. He's well, almost, it's almost like we're on spring break and let's go to the bar, you know? Um, he's, you know, he's slapping people on the back saying, oh, come on, we're going to go do this, do this. And then they also introduce the interesting um, dynamic of the relationship between him and David, 
where you know he sort of he remember when he when they're getting suited up to head out to the temples that he says, "Hey, why do you even bother putting on the suit?" Um, and we learn a lot about the David character in that exchange because he makes the comment about it makes it easier for people like you, meaning humans, like the real people that, who created him, to feel more comfortable with their creation. Um, and I thought that, and it was interesting. And I, that always that struck me when I first time I saw it. I was like, that's that's an interesting dynamic that's setting up. And it also gave David uh, David in my mind a sense of a little bit of menace, you know that. He felt that he was he was different from people, and potentially he felt maybe he was better than people. Right, which I, and I, and I think that that's what sets him apart from the the subsequent um, uh, versions of this android. You know, Ash and Bishop, that uh, they wanted to they they went out of their way to fit in to be more human like so that you know I don't know if it was something they aspired to like uh, like data or or what but David didn't seem to give a crap yeah no absolutely and you know he I, and I think that here is yet another um creator find a, a creation finding his creator kind of um story going on in here David knows who his creator is his creator is is, is Peter Wayland um and he knows that his creator is a is flawed and has created him David who is supposedly the perfect creation and David is now looking at this entire he, he has a totally different agenda from everybody in this movie you you think that he is Peter Whalen's robot to do with what he pleases but no David is clearly self-aware and is searching for answers with a totally different agenda he, you know, he is doing Wayland's bidding. I mean, Wayland is the one who wanted to have Charlie get the black goo. I mean, he didn't. He doesn't. He doesn't say it explicitly, obviously, because he's in. He's still in the sleep chamber. But Wayland is clearly the one who has instructed David do everything you can to find out what is going on here, and even if it means the crew expendable, mm-hmm. alien, and the and the directive from the com- the company. That the crew is is definitely expendable as far as Peter Whalen is concerned, because Peter Whalen is looking for the ultimate answer. He wants to live forever. He's looking to 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 basically cheat death, um, and he's done so with his android creations because they'll theoretically live on forever. And Whalen's whole whole point of being here is he's not looking to to advance humanity's cause uh, for understanding of their origins or anything like that. He's there to find out, hey, these guys are probably technologically advanced. Can they save me? <laughs> you think they're technologically advanced? They created human life. I think they might be. Exactly. So, you know, he's in. The, and so that's the question he's looking to have answered. So, again, we have we have everybody, you know, well, well the exception of Fifield and Milburn, because <laughs> they are not only incompetent, but, you know, completely dumbasses and can't do anything right. And they don't they don't, they don't even want to be there. Yeah. So. Which gets me to another part of the movie that I really was like, boy, this is just does this is not well written and it's not well executed. Is you know, it was the whole, was when Fifield and Milburn they get into the temple and let's talk about the temple real quick. So they drive up to these pyramids, these giant mounds, and on the top of the mounds there's a a face, um, you know, on the top, and it's a human looking face. Um, you know, there's a just a quick aside. When I saw this movie the two times in theaters, first time I, I thought I saw it one way, the second time I intentionally looked to see if I was seeing things correctly. I look, when I watch this, I see that that face on the top of the pyramid, when they first arrive, 
is a more formed face with lips and, and eyes and maybe even a little bit of a nose. And then once all poop hits the wall, <laughs> that storm comes in, and then all of a sudden they cut back and that face becomes a skull. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and, and some people have argued with me that, no, it's always a skull. You're just, it's just looking at it. And I'm like, God, it, look, it just looks like there's a transformation here because – that storm that, that brews up when, when they're in, in the temple, that has to have meaning. Ridley Scott, I don't think, just put it in there so that there would be an exciting scene where they have to rush ahead of a storm cloud. It, it happens at the same time that they are in the temple and things are starting to change in the temple. And it seems it's, it's almost like a wrath of God kind of thing where you've disturbed, you've disturbed you know, this world, this, the, the temple, and now you're going to be punished. And so this building... It's is a place. Uh, it's 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 not just a weapons depot. It's actually a temple, and it's a temple where they worship both life and death. And when they go in there, it's a temple that was used for worshiping life. Um, but when they disturb everything, suddenly becomes a tomb and a place of death. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that visually, if I saw that correctly, that's kind of cool that they maybe they threw that in there. But I'm not 100 sure. I'd be curious to see if other people saw it the same way as I did. That's the way um, I saw it too. In fact. When I was watching it, I remember when the storm was hitting and it was uh, whipping everything around, I remember thinking something bad's going on because now it's a skull. Yeah, so they go in and, they, and we, get, you know, we, we get our big geek-gasm because there's an engineer body lying on the ground. And, oh, well, actually, we should, we should point out that, that, that David obviously clearly has, over the time that it took to get there to, to the planet, has learned how to manipulate their technology somehow, which I think we got it. We got to, maybe we just give them that. That's a bit of a, it's a bit convenient that he can start pushing buttons and make stuff happen mm -hmm. uh, once they get into the temple. But he activates that hologram where you see a bunch of engineers that are either A, running away from something, or B, running away from one of their own who's at the back, you know, and it's, I, I'm not sure how it went. After what we find out later, I think it's likely that the engineers we saw running were trying to get away from the one that was behind because he was infected. Right. Find out he was infected once they get him back to the ship and his head explodes, so. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so anyway, they find the engineer, they find this body, um, they go into this room with these canisters and this giant head and again, the the head is is an the head of an engineer. It's huge. It's clearly this is clearly a play. Like I said, a temple. It's clearly that they were worshiping themselves. I don't know, or maybe their god who looks like them, or or they feel is, is or that they feel that they are, you know, they are they are in the image of their god. But it, this is what you you see. And there so much happens in in this scene. That is so important to understanding what is going on in this movie, and it's kind of hard to catch sometimes. Um, there's the mural on the wall that Shaw takes note of that if you slow it down and or look at the production stills or photographs of it, it actually shows a life cycle of what we would call the classic xenomorph almost, where you have, you have an engineer sacrificing himself for new life coming out of him that then becomes something different. And then you see Charlie walks around behind there and finds a altar with a green kind of glowing egg thing or whatever. It's not an egg, but on, on a pedestal. And in front of it is a relief on the wall. And 
you see the classic sort of xenomorph alien shape up there on that wall. Um, my interpretation was that the xenomorph that we know from Alien and Aliens is basically two things at the same time. It is the perfect creation, like Ash had said back during Alien, and it's the perfect weapon of destruction. It's so basically that is it's not a it's not something they they, they worship it and they they revere it because they can create it and it is perfect and it's and it's the perfect tool of their wrath. You know, that's what the alien is to the engineers. Mm, the yeah, the angel of death. Exactly, exactly right. The alien represents the angel of death, but it also represents a, 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 a being of perfection. Because if we accept the idea that the engineer's sole purpose in, in their existence is to manipulate, create life, and, and create perfect life, then they would appreciate the alien, the xenomorph, as the perfect culmination of their manipulations of life. Um, so yeah, no, and, 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 that's, and so that's always what I sort of took to, to be when, when we see that. And this is now sort of creating that through line that we can get to where we can get eventually to LV-426 and our alien. Because, and I think that was a nice inclusion. I, I, I think that that's much better than obviously the way they end the movie with that chest burst that we'll get to. But I think that that was, that was an interesting way to, sort of, to show that, to show that, that, that this is something that's important to them. Uh, so, so, okay, how about this? All right. Um, the engineers are creating life and they want to maybe the the relief that they you know that they were drawing that they had drawn on the walls was kind of like a blueprint and they were this is what they were planning but they hadn't gotten that far yet and the goo that we see at the beginning of the movie that the engineer drinks maybe that was the purpose of it that that they knew that the goo that they have this black goo let's just for for sake of argument say that this black goo is their um you know their ingredients for the for the life cocktail mm -hmm. right so the whole purpose behind the the opening sequence was that he was sacrificing himself but they thought that he was going to ingest this stuff this was the plan ingest this stuff and then out of him would grow this perfect creature but it didn't quite work that way and he dissolved and fell into the, you know, into the water, and then we were born. And then over the subsequent, you know, millennia, however many millions, thousands, whatever years, they were perfecting this on this planet that we see. Right. Okay. Yeah. No. I think it's. I think that's that's a that's a, that's an interesting idea and a, an interesting approach to it. I think. I think what I think there are two two different ideas you can look at in terms of the black goo. Um, either it's. All black goo is the same, or that there are different kinds of black goo. If you go with, you know, I, I kind of prefer that all the black goo we see in the movie is basically the same stuff. Right. That it's a, it's a, it's a tool by which the engineers destroy life to create life. So the engineer drinking at the beginning of the movie sacrifices himself, destroys himself. The goo the transforms him down to his basic level, and then re reforms life on Earth and creates life on Earth. But I think that that was an accident. Okay, right, you, I, and I think it's. In, I thought it was intentional. If it was, if it was an accidental, right? Then they were. But then why were they there on a desolate planet to, or, or I guess to want to try and create a xenomorph? Because then it's someplace where they can maybe control it, or someplace. Right. Where, I, and, yeah. and, and that would explain. That would explain why you know after we have evolved into what we did, 
they've realized that this accident actually took hold. So that explains what happens later on in, you know, their, their mission. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great point. I never thought about it that way. The, so the black goo, we're introduced to the black goo here and um, David steals some and, um, you know, we, we, we see that, but we don't know what else is going on. We do see that, that one quick shot where worms um, on the ground um, after someone steps on, on steps away. So, you know, obviously something is happening. Um, oh, you know what's cool was I did, I did like um, Fifield's um, pups, the little mapping tools. That oh, he- yeah, those were cool. Byfield, the, the guy who mapped the entire place but can't get his get out. Remember? <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't think of that. Yeah, he's he's the geologist with the mapping tools and uh, all and communicating constantly with Prometheus and yet somehow can't get out. <laughs> and you know, and of course we have the you know this scene where where Charlie takes his helmet off, which seemed a little impetuous, but hey, what are you going to do? I mean, these are the, the times of scientists not very, acting very scientific. I think, I think it bothered people, and I, and I get it. I mean, it, was, it is kind of like, <clears throat> wow, these guys are really a bunch of yahoos who don't be interested in any safety protocols, anything at all. They're just going to rip their helmets off and walk around. Ultimately, it's easier for Ridley Scott to shoot them that way so we can tell who's who, but it was, you know, that was kind of like a, oh, okay, kind of <laughs> So the black goo um, is now unleashed, um, and the storm rolls in. Everybody except for Fifield and Milburn get out of Dodge. Um, Fifield and Milburn are now stuck. They go back to the ship. Um, we have the scene where David rescues um, Shaw from the storm, and they're um, and now we're we're in the med lab examining the head, which really harkened back to me to Ash and the face hugger. Mm-hmm. He was examining it an alien. Um, and they find this way to reanimate the head, and uh, it turns out that the head was moments away from from an inf- uh, what we, what I've come to understand at least as being uh, he that 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 engineer had been infected with the black goo, and his head explodes because that's what was going on. So the black goo now is 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 somewhat menacing. I mean, it, it it's clearly designed to either to dest- we've seen it destroy. We saw it destroy the engineer at the beginning. We see this engineer's head explode. We are about to see Fifield and Milburn get attacked by creatures that came that developed from the black goo. Because I think that's another thing that's important is that when the the goo starts oozing out of the canisters in the temple, it starts to manipulate life and it starts to create the snakes that uh, that attacked Milburn and Fifield. It inf- and and when Fifield is you know it, when it breaks his faceplate or spray, I guess it sprayed acid on his faceplate and he falls forward into the black goo, he starts getting transformed. So we're, we're starting to see that the black goo can act as destroyer of life, creator of life, or alt-changer of life. There's a lot of different things it apparently is capable of, of doing, assuming that it's all the same black goo or if it's different black goo. But regardless, that's, that's sort of what we're, we're seeing here. You know, we, 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 get, we sort of get that um, from, you know, from what happens. And then subsequently... We see um, Charlie, who you know again. We're we're assuming he's a great scientist, right? He 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 lands on a planet. They've discovered alien life. They've got an alien head in their sick bay. What is he doing? Drinking himself into a stupor. <laughs> well, I I I'll talk about this later, but I hated the Charlie character. Okay, no, good. Tell, tell me what you like. Everything. I thought he was a freaking tool. <laughs> it's just, 
I, I don't – it's hard to, to put your finger – maybe it was the actor who portrayed him. I don't know. But just he didn't – he seemed to be kind of a jerk. He was just uh, – he, he took things like, – like David. I mean, really? Yeah. If yeah, you're yeah. – I would think that if you're a scientist, you know, a lot of sciencey people I know, they might not have, you know, the best social skills in the world. But they're not stupid. They're not going to say – especially to somebody who's got the power of life and death over you to say, you know, hey, why do you need that? You're not real. You're just a you're just a puppet. You know, it's I just thought he was a jerk. A jerk and and I think a good a good word for him is petulant because he's acting like a spoiled kid. I right. mean, when he, he uh, David asks him, you know, you know, what's basically what's your problem and he's like, you know, I didn't get to talk to them. Yeah, but you just discovered you discovered Aliens, dude. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. Okay, you just you have just proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are not alone in the in the universe. You've proved that there are intelligent life forms out there. And what's your problem? I didn't get to talk to him. So he's in there, you know, drinking champagne and and rolling cue ball, uh, rolling pool balls around. I mean, it's ridiculous. So, we, so David slips him a Mickey and slips him the goo, and you know now, and it's good that you just mentioned him and your feelings about him because he's not long for this movie now. At this point, he's about to go. I was actually rooting for that. <laughs> yeah, I thought, and I, and I think of this, the scene where David puts the drop of goo on his finger, and you can see on his fingertip and in, in in his um um you know his um on his finger the little Wayland uh, symbols on his finger mm-hmm. and the. But yeah, so so David, you know, and David actually, he in an interesting way, kind of gives Charlie a choice at that point. I think the intention always was was to see what would happen if he put the the black goo in his drink. But David says to Charlie, "What would you be willing to do to find out your answers?" You know, he actually he he gave him that Faustian choice. He gave him that like, hey, or or like from in the Matrix, you want the red pill or the the or the the green one or whatever or the blue one. Yeah. And you know, what would you be willing to do? And he, David says he would do anything effectively. And so David's like, okay, here you go. Here's a drink. Here's <laughs> have a sip and see what happens. And the you know, obviously the result is they you know they, they go back to look for for oh well, oh well then of course we had the scene where where he sleeps with Shaw. <laughs> And, you know, well, yeah, I mean, the problem with that scene is that it's it's kind of like, you know, again, you guys are going to take time out of this incredible discovery to, to, you know, to get some nookie. I'm like, oh, well, I mean, come on. I mean, this is like, can't you guys just wait another couple of days? I mean, but it does it does it does provide for some blatant exposition and conversation about faith and about the fact that she is barren, that she cannot have children. And that, again, that's going to come up real shortly because she's about to give birth. And so she's, this is the immaculate conception kind of idea where, you know, she's the virgin mom here who's going to give birth to this new life form um, a little bit later in the movie. So I think that's why that scene is there. You know, I think that scene establishes that. I don't know how else they would have done it. You get the fun scene where um, where uh, um, Janik um, propositions um, uh, Vickers, <laughs> and, and she realizes either a she wants to show him you know a good time and that she's not an android, or b she's an android and wants to hide that fact, and so is going to show him a good time. <laughs> So anyway, so they go back to find the you know to find Fifield and Milburn, who are now who they find they find Milburn. They don't find Fifield. Um, 
Milburn has a snake that that's gone into him, and he's I mean he's dead. That's it. So he's gone. Um, Fifield's disappeared, and uh, all of a sudden Charlie starts getting sick and starts to basically go through a, you know this transformation. Um, and you know Vickers realizes that she you know she, that he's infected and doesn't want him on the ship, and he sacrifices himself, knowing that you know that. How did you feel about that? His his sacrifice because you don't like Charlie. So how'd you feel about him at the end? Well, I mean, was it really, was it really a sacrifice to save somebody or was it a sacrifice because he knew that it didn't really make any difference? I, I took it that he realized that he was toast and that he didn't, if he didn't let Vickers kill him, this, they were going to, that, that Shaw wasn't going to go back in the ship. Mm -hmm. And you know, there was that whole element to it. So, and did that scene remind you of anything? Oh, uh, when when oh the flamethrower scene? No, rem- no the the scene uh, where Vickers wouldn't let him on the ship. Oh yeah, it's it, it's 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 alien. I mean, yeah. it's, it's Ash, you know, and then it's Ash. Well, Ripley not letting them on. on that's oh, that's a great point. That 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 goes back to your whole idea of, of Vickers as as your Ripley surrogate in this. That's a great point. I never. Yeah, I did, you're right. It's exactly what it was. She didn't want him on, and uh, um, yeah, that's good. That's a very good point. Mm. Um, the one thing, one thing I'm I'm not recalling is the, the chronology of it. Is at what point does Fifield show back up at the ship? Did he show back up at the ship, mutated, and attacks them before Charlie or after Charlie? Uh, I th- I think it was after Charlie. Okay, so we already have, so the Charlie has established that, that the goo create can transform people, and then that gets reinforced by Fifield showing up, and he's all jacked up and. <laughs> and awful and aggressive and attacking people and uh, so and, and I and I think that that scene really was nothing more than just you know an action shot as you know, that's all it wasn't I don't think it really helps or hinders the story it was just an exciting scene to have in there and to show that you know, the black goo is again causing havoc with with people and uh, um, just giving it a little bit more sense of that sort of menace I guess so okay so Charlie's dead so now Shaw is in the medical lab with David, and David asks her if he if she's aware that she's pregnant. Clearly, David knows what's going on at this point. David's got it pretty much all figured out that she that that she and uh, and Charlie had sex, and that they have she's now pregnant with this the biology of the black goo um, inside of her. And he's, he's hiding from her, you know, what, what this thing looks like. And he's knocking her out because he wants to see basically what's going to happen. Um, and then she gets, she escapes and uh, gets into, uh, into Vickers uh, med lab unit. And I got to say, that was a pretty tense scene. Mm-hmm. Did you like that part? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was really well done. I thought that um, uh, Numi Rapace did, a great job in, I mean, it had a, she, she felt very vulnerable in that, and, you know, she wasn't wearing a lot of clothes, she was just wearing that little, like, she looked like uh, Lilu from uh, Fifth Element. <laughs> yeah. Outfit, but no, she, you know, she goes into this, this med unit and has this self surgery performed on her. I mean, I, you know, the one thing that was funny was once the little, uh, the little squid comes out and it's being held by those clamps, it was a, it was clearly a physical, an actual little model or, you know, a puppet. And it really looked like one. It was oh, like, yeah. like, wow, of all the effects in this movie, that one is the least effects. <laughs> yeah. You know, what it reminded me of was the, uh, the squid from the first men in black movie when, uh, when the alien gives birth and Will Smith, uh, catches the baby. 
That's right. Yeah, it does look like that. So she gets this thing out of her and, um, and you know, gets out of the room, locks this thing in, in the room, and supposedly sterilize, does some sort of sterilization procedure where the thing is supposed to be dead. We obviously know that it's not. We'll get <laughs> a moment. And now she finds that, look who's on board and joining the party, but Peter Wayland. And here's where certainly the movie you know, kind of like it's going, it's going hellbent for leather. I mean, you, you've got a number of scenes here that build up to all of a sudden now here's Waylon sitting in a chair being attended to by his aides. And, you know, she's sitting there with her, with her gut stapled closed, you know, and he's like, oh, good of you to join us. I wasn't sure if you'd make it, you know, and the movie really slows down here to do, to get, Peter Wayland and have, let him have his moment with his with his. Now we find out his quote unquote daughter. Whether or not we accept that Meredith Vickers is his daughter or not, but that's what he says. I think I think she's as much his daughter as David is his son. That's a good point. Yeah, because he does. And that's right. You definitely get that that paternal feel between David and David's attitude towards, or Peter's attitude towards David. Um, you also get you also at this point get Janik, the captain, has. Has has obviously read the script and is now going to tell us exactly what's going. <laughs> he effectively turns to the audience, even though he's actually talking to Shaw, and says, "Hey, this place is a weapons depot, and we gotta we gotta shut this place down." Those uh, engineers, this ain't their home. It's an installation, maybe even military. And they put it out here in the middle of nowhere because they're not stupid enough to make weapons of mass destruction on their own doorstep. That's what all that shit is in those vases. They made it here. It got out. It turned on them. The end. It's time for us to go home. One of them is still alive. Don't you want to know what they have to say? I don't care. Right. All you do is fly this ship. That's right. Um, and now I just want to—I just want to stop and, and just and go back a little bit and 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 get back to why why is this place here? There are clues throughout the movie about the timing of everything. They 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 date the dead engineer as being uh, being dead or being alive two thousand years ago. So. At this point, Janik makes it clear, and and we know because David has had that that really incredible scene in the um, derelict ship in the um, navigation room, where the stars chart comes up and everything, right. and he he sees those representations of the engineers having a conversation. He's figured out as well that the plan here was the engineers were developing their black goo, and their plan was to go to Earth and wipe us out. So 2,000 years ago, for some reason, the engineers who we have, if we accept that they, if we accept my idea that, that they, they seeded life on Earth and that we are their creation, if we support that idea because of the prevalence and the obvious visitations that they had over humanity's development because of all the cave paintings, clearly engineers were returning to Earth to watch the development of their creation. They were keeping an eye on us. They were, they were gardeners who were tending to their garden. What happened 2,000 years ago that they said, ah, you know what, this isn't going the way we want. Um, let's bring in the black goo and let's start over again. 
And so that's what, and I think that's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where they take that. Cause I mean, that at the end of the movie is what Shaw wants to know. Shaw, you know, says why she asked David, you know, why did they want to kill us? What was it about us that they, that in about that time? And there are, you know, you can do the math and say 2,000 years ago was right around the time of, of, of the rise of Christianity and of Jesus and that maybe the engineers felt that we had forsaken them for a new God and something, but something clearly happened. We don't know what it is. I'm intrigued. That's probably going to be part of the prequel. Um, did you sort of catch that as well? Or Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, but, but it still left me confused. I mean, why... If they were upset with this, okay, let, let's just say that that is the truth, okay, that um, 2,000 years ago they saw the birth of Christ and they saw, you know, mankind moving towards a new God. Well, that's not something that hadn't happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before that because humankind were always turning to new gods, right? I mean, they were worshiping the golden cow. They were worshiping the three-horned goat, whatever. So why would this particular instance get them to the breaking point? Right. That's a good point. And, and, it's, and, and again, when I'm saying that there is really nothing in the movie whatsoever to make to, to go down that road. The only thing that's that the only reason I bring it up is because Ridley Scott in his conversations about it, there was a point where they considered, you know, being more explicit in suggesting that that potentially an engineer was being revered as a, as Jesus or, or that or that Jesus was an engineer. I mean it was like he <laughs> off the rails. I mean all observation. Oh, he wasn't an engineer, he was a carpenter. I mean, it was like he clearly, but but it was obvious that they were trying to figure out how to play with that, um, and they backed away from it. And I think that was a good call. I, I think that, again, I think that the 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 religious aspects that are throughout this movie are treated respectfully and are given a lot of credence. They're not just toss away ideas. And that even at the end of the film, you are still left with you know a woman of faith who, who who still believes and wants to find out what have we done to to be forsaken? What have we done that that you have lost your love for us? And that's that's when she you know that's in her her you know her end of the movie dialogue where she's recording that message, um, just like you know Ripley did an alien. And you know that seems to be what her goal is is to find that out. But it's interesting that that again that they play around with these these sort of ideas. Um, anyway, so they all go on back to the ship and, um, you know, they, they wake the engineer and the engineer gets up and looks around and he sees that he's surrounded by humans. And I think it's safe to assume that he knows what they are, Mm -hmm. where where his creation, um, and David's talking, talks to him and we don't know what, what he said. We have since in, there's in the deleted scene, gotten a little more context about what David said, but let's just stick with what actually happens in the movie um, where, you know, the end, David, you know, Waylon asks the end, you know, wants to, wants to talk to the engineer. David's talking to the engineer in his own language. The engineer reaches over and puts his hand really gently and almost, almost lovingly on David's head. Um, And it's, it's a great scene because, you know, it's, it's, it's clear that, yeah, they, they, what I got from what I got from that anyway was that the engineers, yeah, they were coming to wipe us out, but they still love us. And that he he looked at David and 
assumed that David was a person and put his hand on him and touched him and suddenly realized it's not a person. It's a machine. And, and all of a sudden he realizes and he looks at Wayland that we have created our own life and it's artificial. And for a species like the engineers who, for whom I think life and the, and the engineering of life is the most beautiful and, and it is their religion to them. It is the most special thing in the, in the universe. The fact that we would create artificial life is such an abomination to them. And that's what sets him off. That's why he touches David. He makes this connection that we've created artificial life and he goes ballistic and he destroys David and then starts killing everyone. So, and, and, and I think that that's, I think the scene plays out well that way, you know, when I look at it and I, and I go, here's the reason why he's doing this. Initially, what did, what did you think the reason was that he flipped out? I had no idea. I mean, when I watched it, when I watched the movie, uh, this was before I watched the, the, the deleted scenes. When I watched that scene, I actually got a little bit confused because, yeah, there's that. We don't know what he, you know, first of all, we don't know that he said anything to David. We just know that David's talking to the engineer. And the engineer says something, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. He, you know, he touches David's head, and then he rips it off, and then he tries to kill everybody. And I, w- I remember thinking, what in the heck happened? <laughs> Why is he doing this? And then why is he, uh, you know, hell bent on on destroying everybody there? And then, I, I oh, go ahead. Kill the old dude. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, kill, yeah. kill the old dude, kill the old man. Yeah, kill Guy Pierce. That was Guy Pierce. When we since found out that what he actually said was that Peter Whalen was wanted to live forever, you know that 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 he made the request of the engineer of what Peter Whalen was there to, to try and achieve, and I so I guess from another aspect you could look at it that the engineer took that as an incredible affront because life is not meant to last forever; it goes through a cycle of birth, life death and then you know and continues on that way there is no such thing as eternal life there shouldn't be a thing as eternal life don't ask me for eternal life because that's not what this is all about um but yeah no it, it's it, it it is it isn't clear because there is no subtitles or anything he just basically but you know i guess for someone watching the movie who just simply accepts the premise that the engineers are pissed off at us and they're coming back to wipe us out but well, he wakes up and he's surrounded by people guess what i'm gonna start here right now <laughs> yeah yeah well, after I watched uh, after I watched that deleted scene, it made a lot more sense to me. So what I was thinking was, you know, the, the exchange between David and the engineer. David's telling him, you know, all about Waylon, and then he touches David, and he realizes that David is artificial. And then David's telling him, and you know, and this is my dad, Waylon, and he wants to live forever. He wants to be just like you. Well, I think that's what pushed him over the edge, and that's what made him go ballistic. That's a great point. Yeah, and you're and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, Peter, Peter's creation of David and potentially Vickers is his efforts to to create life eternal. You know, mm-hmm. that's what he's what he's trying and shooting for. So, so he so he kills everyone except for Shaw. She gets out. She starts running back to the ship. She radios into Janik that hey, remember that whole thing about you know not letting these cats get off 
planet. Well, it's it's time. You guys gotta you guys got to make the sacrifice. And really, from here on out, the movie is a straight up action movie. Now it's like everything is going to start happening. We're going to get the we get the derelict ship taking off. We get Janik and his two crewmen um, sacrificing themselves, which I which I liked. I kind of liked it that you know when they when they put their hands up and they're going to ram into the derelict ship. I kind of thought that was pretty cool. I did too. I I liked that it. it showed you know in that one little scene it showed me how long the three of them had been together and how much trust and faith and love they have for one another yeah no well said yeah definitely definitely um because they are the three of them and and here's here's where the movie does did succeed in in terms of its character development and exposition the three of them do feel like a team and they should because they're the crew that these two guys have been working with janik all this time and that they you know they're friends and that they care about each other and the fact that janik gives them the opportunity to take off with vickers into the escape pod but they choose to stay on board with their captain it's it, it is a nice scene and and it is it is one of the few times where the crew has an emotional connection with each other that you see that you know that has some 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 kind of meaning. Um, so anyway, so you know Shaw gets out, ship takes off, they ram into the uh, into the derelict. Derelict comes crashing back down um, and rolls onto Vickers because <laughs> <laughs> she can't run anyway but straight. It, you know. It, in the theaters when I was watching it, I'm like, God, this is so exciting, man. The ship falls down, then it like it teeters and it you know, and then it starts to to roll over to one side. And it's all visually incredible to watch and exciting. But as they're running, then all of a sudden you're just like, just turn left. Or <laughs> you're right. Broken field running. It, it was pretty funny that they that they keep going and doing that and that they call it out in that trailer we played at the beginning. But so anyway, so Vickers is potentially killed. We're not quite sure. Um Shaw makes her way, running out of air, makes her way back to the, the lifeboat. And uh, she gets in there and uh, she peeks into the med lab, realizes that uh, her, her baby is grown. And then, David let, and then David communicates with her, you know, because he's still, he's, he's a disembodied head, which we get a lot of in this franchise. <laughs> now we, we've had Ash and we've had uh, Bishop. And uh, was there any in Alien? No, there's no, no Alien. Androids in, in Resurrection. Well, and, I, no, no, I don't. Well, the alien was um, what's her name? Um, oh, the in Re- Alien Resurrection. Yeah, um, the the Winona Ryder. Right, thanks. But she doesn't get decapitated. No. And talk. Too so. bad, huh? <laughs> we'll get there, folks. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so David's communicating with her, and he's like, he's coming. Um, so the engineer is PO'd because we just wrecked his ship, and now he's coming in there to 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 get Shaw. And he's got and, a high deductible and doesn't want to pay it. <laughs> yeah, he did definitely. He didn't go with the, with the with uh, Geico. <laughs> he comes running in there, and uh, you know she he's about to basically you know kill Shaw, and she hits that button and unleashes the mega face hugger. <laughs> it's, it's a cool. It's cool, but it's it, to watch him fighting it. But damn, it's just like this big thing. I mean, it's, I think like, it, it's like a B movie. Yeah, it, 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 that. Well said. It is exactly right. It it really, for about five minutes here, this movie definitely goes off the rails and gets a little, and and I've seen some of the designs and ideas that they came up with in the making of book, and they're actually pretty good. I mean, there's some pretty credible, different looking design ideas, but what they went with was like this, just that that what the hell that was. But anyway, it grabs hold of our engineer and gives him a doesn't just give him a face hug. It gives him a full body hug. <laughs> French kiss. Wraps itself all around him, um, and then of course you know now we're at the end, and uh, and Shaw 
gets over to the crashed ship and picks up the pieces of David, gets her cross back. And like I said, you know, we have a, a nice wrap up to the, the, the Christian allegories that are sort of going through and Shaw's still has her faith and, uh, they are going to go off on a mission now on their own, the two of them. So, you know, we can only assume that that the two of them are now going to try and find the engineer homeworld. And Shaw wants to find out the answers to her questions. As an audience, we also want to find out what, the, you know, what, why the why you were going to come wipe us out. Why did you create us? What is, you know, what is the purpose of, of your of your weapons that, you know, are they weapons or are they things that you you have reverence for or are they one and the same? And at the very end, though, they toss in the chestburster, which, you know, I mean, did they need that? Did they need to throw that in there? That's a good question. I mean, the part of me that wanted the concrete connection between uh, this prequel and the other uh movies in the franchise says yes i think that was an awesome uh toss out for a couple of reasons because right here we get to see firsthand the evolution of of the creature you know it comes out as this squid looking thing and then it grows up into this thing and then the next time it goes inside a, a host to to uh you know incubate it comes out our familiar albeit albino <laughs> and, and- did did you notice how much it looks like the sandworms from Beetlejuice? Uh huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. online, I was like, oh yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Tim Burton has to have some part in this. Seriously. <laughs> but yeah, I know you're right. It, it it definitely at least gets us to that point where we can say, ah, okay, well, we're we're this is how. So this is this is that mural on the wall in in the temple. This is what happens. This is this progression of life changing, altering, creating, and begetting new life. And, but to do so, there's always that aspect that in order to create life, you have to destroy life. You know, it's interesting that those two are always working hand in hand in the engineer's grand plan that apparently you can create life, develop life, but if, if it's not what you want, you then destroy it completely and go right back down to brass tacks and start over again. Um, the xenomorph that pops out you know, I would be surprised if we if we revisit that in a second film. I don't think that that was like you said. I think that was meant to just simply show that this is what's going to happen, and that I think what we might see in a sequel, and I guess the working title for the sequel right now is Paradise, which was in the initial working title for Prometheus where they changed it. Thank goodness. Is is potentially well, and then there's that cutscene though. There, David refer says that the engineers said that they're from a world or a place called Paradise. We don't see that in the movie, but that was also in the in some of the deleted scenes. Um, so anyway, we'll we'll find out what it was that you know that they were trying to accomplish here. And um, um, like I said, that I think that 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 inclusion of the alien will, won't go much further. What I want to see in is you know how how. You know, is my thinking about the the alien in in the first movie correct? Is the alien just simply a biological weapon, a perfect being designed to eradicate life, so that the engineers can then come on in and replace it, um, or or what? What 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 is it? And I hope I hope that those the of course, that gets answered. I hope that 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 linear branch in paradise goes directly towards that so that we can have a little bit of that because i think we deserve it as 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 a fan base i agree and i think 
you know, now that you think about it, I think that you make an excellent point. That was why there were so many, because I was always wondering, why were there so many eggs in the cargo hold area of this ship that we see at the beginning of the first Alien movie? And if it was because they were delivering this weapon to wipe us out, that makes a whole lot of sense. And it just kind of got away from them and killed the crew. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's it, that that they somehow lose control of what they're trying to create, which would be which would be a great way to go. I mean, you know, you in it's just like with David and, and Peter. Peter's Peter's drive and obsession and hubris to create perfection. He loses control of it. You can't control it, and then all of a sudden you're screwed. The engineers potentially they're trying to develop the classic alien xenomorph as perfection and they lose control of it and it and it turns on them because they can't they you know they do lose that that control and uh, and I know that that's that's explored kind of in the book of Al- the book of, of uh, the screenplay of alien about you know what may have been happening here why this ship was there why those eggs are there where was that guy going you know what were they doing with those i mean there's so many things that they could do here so I am. Uh, I'm just gonna go out and say I really, really love Prometheus, despite its flaws. I had a great time at the movie theaters seeing this film a couple of times. It really gave me a lot of enjoyment, and it makes me really, really excited to see the, the sequel. And I say that totally appreciating people that just said that was not what I wanted, and I just can't get over it. I, I, I totally get it, but for me, it, it definitely worked. <laughs> I know what you're expecting me to say. <laughs> I liked it. I I didn't love it like I thought I like I really wanted to. I mean, I wanted to love this movie. Uh, I love I love the cinematography. I think it was a very very beautiful movie. I loved the I loved the concept of the movie, and I like very much how you know they didn't just spoon feed you. You had to actually think about some things, but. Yeah, it, it's not it's not the movie that I was hyping up in my own mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying, and uh, like I said, it's I, I can I, I think that I probably would have had the same some you know the same sort of underlying sense of disappointment had I not spoiled myself rotten going in. But it just gave me it gave me a a, a context uh, to watch the movie that allowed me to to let to not or to basically to, to ignore. It's failings. You know, I was able to just simply say, oh, here's the part where someone told me that these guys are idiots and I will just forget it. And I watch and I go, yeah, boy, they really are idiots. <laughs> Dumb and dumber. Yeah, I'm not going to let that change, you know, my, my experience in trying to enjoy this and watching for the other things that I think were more interesting. But uh, I am I'm encouraged and pleased that they do get another shot at it and i think as fans i think we're gonna you know i think they'll it's good there's gonna be a lot of excitement about it um because it the movie did prove to be so to be somewhat divisive in terms of the fan community and reaction i mean there's a thread over on the replica prop forum about prometheus that's still going on it's the to the top of the page all the time because people keep adding new information about the pre the sequel and the the conversation about what happened continues and you know once the dvd comes out i'm sure there's gonna be a lot more of that going on in terms of we'll have a, a better insight into what the what scott and lindelof and all of them were thinking about and when making this and where where i think they made where they where they were successful maybe you know and maybe where they weren't i think lindelof 
acknowledges that there were some there were issues because I don't believe he's going to be coming back for the sequel. I think uh, someone else is going to write it. Uh, I don't know if that was always going to be the case, but uh, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for him. But I think that you know sometimes a script like that needed a little bit more massaging, could have been a little bit tighter. I agree. I, I think that he he's very he's a very talented writer. With there's no there's no questioning that, but. It, maybe it would have served the movie a little bit better had they had a team. Uh, you know, they had somebody like Lindelof who could who could plant the seed of this whole, you know, this whole myth, this whole mythos world, everything, and then have somebody mature that script. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. It uh, it definitely it definitely had had some some big holes in it that real and and, and I know it really stuck in a lot of people's. Cr- general people in, on treks and sci-fi they people in general were pretty okay they were like yeah it, it may not have been what, what i wanted it may not have been you know the best and there were these problems but i think in general people seem to enjoy it a lot i've, I've read a lot of other forums where, where there's some real hatred towards it <laughs> i definitely I, I don't hate it at all i mean i would say on a scale of one to ten it's definitely an eight for me yeah yeah I think that's that's a that's very generous because you know and I I agree I think it was my I look at it again in terms of my whole experience I don't go to the movies very often and when I do I just want it to be really 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 fun and enjoyable and special and I got that you know I definitely got that from from Prometheus and uh, so I uh, I appreciate what they did and uh, I hope everyone uh, appreciates the chance or gives or we appreciate the chance that you guys given us to uh, to talk about it and. Mm-hmm. Spend a little time on this, and uh, and like I said, assuming that uh, Al is up for it, Alien Resurrection. I am up for it, but I gotta warn you right now: I am not going to be as nice as I has been as I have been with the other movies. Giant steaming turd. Oh yeah. See, in space, you can hear a turd. Josh Whedon, hello. Yeah, what no the- kidding. Even I, I, from what I, I, I can't wait to get into the um, behind the scenes on that because I think even he. I, I don't think what, what we saw was what he wrote. And I'm really curious to see. And I, and I think Joss is a team player. And I'm sure I'm not going to see a lot of bashing of the director or the producer or, the, or anything. But I'm, I, I want to see if there's an underlying, you know, yeah, that's not quite what I had in mind. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to uh, let you go. <laughs> Well, that's it for me. I mean, do you have anything else you wanted to add out? No, I, I, I encourage everybody, if you haven't seen it yet, and uh, at this point, I'm sure I was the only one in the world that haven't, hasn't seen it yet. If you haven't seen it yet, go go get it. I mean, pretty soon it's going to be available on uh, Blu-ray and DVD. It's already available um, digital. You can, you can download that. There's several different places. Uh, I encourage you to see it. It's definitely worth the look. Even if you're not an Alien fan, it's definitely worth it. Well said. It, it's it's it. Even if you're not an Alien fan, I think that's a great point. It's a really good science fiction movie, and you know what? It's the first really true sci-fi movie we've had in a long time. A lot of what we've been getting recently is sort of derivative comic book stuff. Um, it, it's been a while that we've had a true sci-fi, a smart sci-fi movie with with intense themes and intense visuals and it's not just jokey or something so from that standpoint 
I'm, I'm I'm glad to see the genre, you know, coming back strong with a movie like this. And uh, you know, I think it. I think for and for an R-rated movie, it made almost worldwide four hundred million dollars. So I think that's that's pretty good. I think the box office is pretty respectable, and I think the studios, the Fox Studios, agree. So anyway, I'm looking forward to to seeing more. Um, and yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more with your assessment of that. Al. I think that's uh, that's definitely good advice. I think everyone should give this give this one a shot. Yes. And that's it, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another exciting episode of The Alan Bryan Show. And Rico, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to babble on for an, an hour and 24 minutes. Boy, we, we got a lot out of this one. Yeah, we did. And uh, thanks for letting us uh, have the center seat again. You might want to wipe it off. Uh, I sweat a little bit, so. That, that, that butt sweat. That yes. crap. Oh, it's not good. Not, not a pretty sight. But on that, my friend. Live long and prosper to all my friends in the Strex and Sci-Fi community and out there in podcast land. Thank you very much, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Can we have your name, please? My name is David. And what's your mission role, David? To care for the crew. Okay, and what's your mission role, Dr. Shaw? I'm the leader of this scientific expedition. And your length of service? This is my first mission. If this transmission has found you, if we have found you, on behalf of everyone, I would like to say hello. I've been dreaming about you as long as I can remember. We want to see you. We need to see you. We are coming now. Uh, what do I hope to get out of this mission? Yeah. Everything. Um, I want to crush all man-made religions. Prove everybody wrong. This is Rick, and we're the hosts of the Ragtag Fugitive Podcast. We're celebrating the original Battlestar Galactica series, and we're doing that by uh, 
watching an episode in total and commenting on it as it runs. And you know what's really fun about it is we're attempting to bring guest hosts in with us so that we can talk kind of like that mystery science theater kind of thing. And we sometimes we make a little fun of the episode, and sometimes we talk about how cool it is, so you just never know what you're going to get when you listen. Yes. So come and join us. We're on iTunes. You can find us by searching for Ragtag Fusion Podcast, and we're on the Stitcher Radio Network. You also can visit our cool website and make comments and have fun looking around in the officer's lounge and all that jazz by going to ragtagfugitivepodcast.com. You have our word as a warrior. Word as a warrior? Plank down your cubits and come on over and let's play a game of Pyramid, the Ragtag Fugitive Podcast. By your command. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're We're huge huge Disneyland Disneyland fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www.talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make make it it a a Mickey Mickey day. Do you ever wish you could go back in time? Join me on Out of Range Podcast and you almost can. When I rediscover childhood favourites from TV, movies, toys, comic books and much more. The usually irregular, but always entertaining geeky media show, Out of Range, can be found at dangelous.com slash outofrange. Search for Out of Range in iTunes or the podcast app of your choice. Oh.